The message you're listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. All right, I'm going to get started. So uh, my name is Zach Simmons. I'm on staff at Campus Outreach at the University of Minnesota. And uh, how many of you guys are from Minneapolis? Okay, good. I told the rest of them not to come. Um, so uh, the topic we're going to be talking about is reading the Bible supernaturally. I don't have some spiritual insight that you guys don't. Um, it's actually from a book that a, a pastor named John Piper wrote. He was uh, my former pastor. And the first book in that series is A Peculiar Glory. And a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about come from this book. And so um, I'd recommend it if you guys want to read something more on the Bible. A Peculiar Glory is a really good book. Um, another book that I would recommend that you guys should write down is called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper. That's also really influenced the way that I think about the Bible. So, peculiar glory. So, um, as you can see, our presentation is a little wonky, but that's all right. Um, before we get started, I, I just want to clarify a couple things. Uh, I, I recognize that some of you guys in here are not Christians. And that's okay. Some of you guys are just honest. You're just, that's just not where you're at. You're curious about Christianity. Perhaps you came here because you're curious, but you're not Christians. And that's all right. What I want to do is give you guys a perspective on how Christians should view the Bible, how we should view the Bible, and what steps we can take to start reading the Bible. And so just have that in mind. If you're not a Christian, have that in mind. Um, and if you are a Christian and you're here, um, again, I'm trying to give you perspective on, as Christians, how should we view the Bible? In, and what's it, what is its importance um, for us? So, all right. So, what, what I want to say right now, maybe the most important thing that you guys hear at conference, not because I have a self-inflated view of my talk, but because of the importance of the Bible. So, listen to me closely. If you don't get anything else out of what I'm going to say today, hear this. You can stake your life on the Bible. You can stake your life on the Bible because in the Bible, we see the glory of God and you were created for the glory of God. If you don't get anything else out of my talk, that's what I want you to get. You can stake your life on the Bible because in the Bible, we see the glory of God and we were created for the glory of God. So there's some Bible references where I think it shows that. <clears throat> so, um, here's where I see we were created for the glory of God. In Isaiah 43, God is talking. He says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up. And to the south, Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and who I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. So, this morning, what DA was saying was, um, we are a people for God's possession. And when we are folded into the family of God, that's what we were created for right here. We were created for his glory. So Isaiah is speaking of a time when there will be redemption and people will begin to be saved and they will call in the name of the Lord. So, and what he says is, whom I have created for my glory. My people for my own possession, I've created them for my glory. If you look at John 1.14, um, it says, uh, the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, God's glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Talking about Jesus, the face of Jesus 
displays the glory of God. And then a little further on in John 5.39, Jesus says, all the scriptures that you are looking at in the Old Testament, they testify about me. So we know that the New Testament testifies about Jesus, but also the Old Testament. All the scriptures, they testify specifically about Jesus. About Jesus, And he is the glory of God. So if you don't get anything else, get that. You can stake your life on the Bible because in it we see the glory of God and you were created for the glory of God. Now, um, John Piper would say it um, this way in a peculiar glory. He says, it is a stupendous claim that any book written by human hands is the infallible word of God. So just think about that for a second before I move on. If you are a Buddhist or a Hindu or uh, a Muslim, all of them have sacred writings and all of them are claiming to have some higher power associated with them. So what we're saying is, if we're claiming that this book is written and it's the infallible word of God, has no error in it, it's divine, divinely written, if the claim is true, and if the book claims to teach the only path to eternal life, then that book is more important than any, any other book. It is more to offer us than any other book. And what it offers us is of infinite importance. So think of it this way. If God wrote a book, if he wrote the Bible, then it's the most important book. Because God wrote it. Okay? But, if, hold on. If God did not write the book, then Christianity is founded on nothing. That's the implication. There's no reason that any of us should follow Christianity if the Bible is not true. Because everything we know about Christianity is found in the Bible. Every talk that you've heard thus far has been founded on the Bible. They're using scripture to back up every single thing that they're saying. So if the Bible is not true, then Christianity means nothing and none of us should follow it. That's the weightiness of the Bible. And so another way to say that is if you, um, if you want to stake your life on anything, stake it on the Bible because we're saying that the Bible is true. So, um, all right, so here's, here's where we're headed. I'm going to dive into how Christians should view the Bible, and then uh, we're going to do a smaller section at the end um, and just give you some practicals of how you can start reading it yourself. And so um, I want to give you perspective. The way I want to do that is uh, show you um, another quote from John Piper and use this analogy um, and break this down. So he says, I have stood in front of this window, the Bible, all these years, not to protect it from being broken or because the owner of the chalet told me to, but because of the glory of the Alps on the other side. I am a captive of the glory of God revealed in Scripture. So, emphasis, I am a captive of the glory of God revealed in Scripture. So think about this. If, if you're standing here and you have a window, which is the Bible, and you look, what, what uh, Pastor John is saying is you're looking and through it you see something far more glorious. So it's a window into something that's really, really glorious. Okay, And so... Um, Piper is saying that the reason that we read the Bible is because it shows us the glory of God. We're captive of that. So we're going to break that down. We're going to talk about the window, which is the Bible, and then we're going to talk about us, and then we're going to talk about the Alps on the other side, which is God, the glory of God that we see in Scripture. Um, before I do, I, th- I think this is just a really good um, passage that, that displays what what Pastor John's talking about. It says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And D.A. talked about this this morning as well, but um, we're not using God for convenience. King David wrote this, and he's saying, 
All I want is to be able to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That's what we're called to as Christians, is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to delight in it. We don't use God for our own means. We delight in who God is simply because he is glorious. That was our intended purpose when we were created. That's what the Bible would say. And that's, that's what David's crying out. He's saying, one thing have I asked, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord forever. So, um, all right, so let's look at the window. So I think there's four things that we can um, see about this window. The first is, uh, it's not a mathematical equation, but it's a love letter. So when you think of the Bible, um, oftentimes can think of it, people can think of it as um, advice, moral advice for how you should live your life. And the Bible doesn't talk like that. It doesn't, um, if it was like that, it would be more like a mathematical equation, which is, you know, mathematical equations and physics and whatnot. Is there any physics majors in here? Okay. Um, I know nothing of physics and I'm still surviving <laughs> because I don't need to know physics in order to survive, right? Does that make sense? And in the same way, we can treat the Bible like a mathematical equation where it's like, it's true, but I don't really need to know it in order to survive. But that's not the way that God talks about it. God says, I wrote this book. Because I wrote this book, you should know this book. Because this book is a love letter to you, specifically to humanity, because I want humanity to know me. I want humanity to be reconciled to me. That's the whole reason that Jesus died. So it's not a mathematical equation. You can't live your life without knowing it. It's a love letter that God wrote. Um, secondly, it's not a masterpiece, but a window. And uh, here's what I mean by that. A masterpiece, you know, if you have... Uh, a critic of art, they can look at a masterpiece and say, yeah, I like how they did this, but I don't like how they did that. But who's in control in that situation? The critic, right? The critic is looking at the masterpiece and saying, this is my opinion on it. But if it's simply a window, then you're just looking through it and looking at, at the outside. And so instead of um, being the one who's in control of the situation and saying, I like this or I don't like this, you simply look and you say, "That's." I mean, who would say the Swiss Alps are not beautiful? Right? I mean, when you look at beauty, you can't help but, but acknowledge its beauty. It's, it's more like a window than it is simply a masterpiece. Uh, the Bible is not for comprehension, but it's for captivation. Don't get me wrong. You should understand the Bible and what it means. Okay? You should, they, we want to understand the Bible. We want to understand what the author was really intending when he wrote it. That's, that should be number one on your list when you're looking at the Bible. What does the author actually mean here? But... The whole purpose is not so that you're a smarter individual. The purpose is that you're captivated by it. You see it and you delight in the God that you see within the Bible. Okay? And then um, fourth, it is magical. And I, I, I literally mean, I think that this book right here is like Harry Potter magical. Um, you look at the Bible and the way it talks about the Word of God, and uh, it revives the soul. Um, in Mark 4, it talks about the Word of God being scattered, and if it lands on good soil, it grows a good crop. Um, the Old Testament talks about it, that the Word of the Lord will not return void. It will either harden hearts or pierce them. It says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword in Hebrews. So it's going to pierce through you and, and interrogate you. When you read the Bible, you may feel uncomfortable at points because it's interrogating you. Like, this is actually a magical book. I actually think it's magical. Okay? Um, so when you, when you come to the Bible, you shouldn't just think of it as another book. But if God wrote this book, there's a whole lot to it. And we should think of it as something that's a key for us to be able to see the God of the universe. So um, that's the window. Now uh, let's talk about us. 
Um, if we are going to appreciate the majesty of the Alps, I was standing um, near the Swiss Alps, I would need to understand my minuteness, my, how small I am in comparison to the Alps, right? Because if I'm larger than them, it's not, it's not as glorious, right? When you're standing underneath the Alps and you see how glorious they are when the sun's shining over it, it's, I, I grew up uh, in the state of Wyoming, and so I grew, near, I grew up near the Rockies, and the Rockies are glorious. They're absolutely glorious. Thing. And, and people, um, when they climb the Rockies, they're not climbing, I mean, people will climb the Rockies and they won't say, I did it. But when they get to the top, I mean, you see on Instagram, you see a picture of the majesty, right, that they're displaying, which is just, it's vast, it's beautiful. And um, so we need to see our own minuteness if we're going to really understand the majesty that we're going to see in the Bible. And so um, I just want to give a, a quick perspective that I think is relevant to our generation on our minuteness. And that, that's through technology and, and our use of technology. So um, one comedian puts it this way. Um, he says, what the phones are taking away from us is the ability to just sit there. That's being a person. Just being able to sit and be present with people. Because underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty feeling. That knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. It's down there. This guy's not a Christian, okay? Um, and sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching anything. You're in your car and you start going, oh no, here it comes. That I'm alone. Have you guys ever felt that? You're in the car by yourself and you kind of feel like, I need to do something with myself. I need to listen to something. Or I need to, I mean... Isn't it hard to just sit in your car and go from point A to point B while being silent? Um, and what he would say is, it just starts to visit on you, just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. That's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of the people driving are texting, and they're killing. Everybody's murdering each other with their cars. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. And this is something that I've talked to a lot of students about recently, it's so hard to unplug from Snapchat because you're so scared of what your friends are doing without you. You're so scared that you're going to miss out on something. But if everybody's doing that, then nobody's really interacting with one another. And you live in a lonely world where your only friend is this right here. Just, just this phone. And this phone, although it deceives us into believing that it's omniscient and that we can see a lot of things, it doesn't give light. But it's far easier to go to your phone to distract yourself than it is anywhere else. And that's, that's what I think we do. When we feel sadness, embarrassment, shame, pain, it's easier for me, when I feel those things, to go to ESPN and see how the Vikings are doing. And that's caused me even more grief this year. But it's, it, it's, but it's easier for me to do that and to try and find hope in some sports team or whatever. Whatever it is for you, whether it's on Instagram, flipping through and seeing the perfect decorator, or you know, people who have the best clothes, whatever it is for you. It's easier to do that than to actually deal with life's problems. And I think that's connected because the Bible is honest about all of those things. It's not saying that your life is going to be perfect, but it has an answer to all of those problems. But we don't do that. We don't go to the Bible, but we would rather be distracted because we don't want to feel pain, so we numb ourselves rather than dealing with the real issue underneath. Um, so there's a woman named uh, Brene Brown, who wrote, or did a TED Talk. I would recommend you guys see it. Hold on. 
Okay. So um, she's a social worker. She did a lot of research on vulnerability. And um, this is some of the things she found out. So she said, we numb emotion. The problem is that you cannot selectively numb emotion. You can't say, here's the bad stuff. Here's vulnerability. Here's grief. Here's shame. Here's fear. Here's disappointment. I don't want to feel these. Um, so when we numb those, we numb joy. We numb gratitude. And we numb happiness. Do you hear that? When you try and numb some emotion, your entire emotional center of your brain just shuts off. You can't feel happy just by numbing other emotions. All of it gets numbed. And then we're miserable. We're looking for purpose and meaning, and we feel vulnerable. So we have a couple beers and a banana nut muffin, or whatever it is for you. For me, my tendency, honestly, is NFL.com and ESPN. Like those are those are my go-tos when I want to distract myself. Um, that's that's where I go. And I'm not necessarily saying that yours is is your phone, but all of us have distractions. And in a um, a very unique time in the history of the world where knowledge is just at your fingertips, it's never been easier to distract yourself from life so you don't have to feel pain. And I think the Bible's the solution for that. So, um, this is what I think our generation really struggles with. Confusion. We don't feel good about ourselves, and so we run to other things, and uh, but those don't make us feel better, and so it's kind of this sick cycle of, you know, like I eat because I'm happy, I'm happy because I eat. You know, it's like I go to my phone because I'm unhappy, but I'm happy because I go to my phone. Whatever it may be for you, whatever distraction it is, and we feel confused because what our generation is telling us is that what you're going to be able to find happiness is in yourself. That's self-liberation where we find happiness. But that's not true. Just like Dave was saying this morning, we can't subjectively decide what's objective. Objective truth is outside of ourselves. And the Bible is saying it's objective. It's objective. It's going to be able to tell you honestly about your life. And that's what the Bible offers you. The Bible is actually going to offer you honesty about what is true in the world. Both the bad and the good. It's not going to lie to you. So if you are, um, if you feel confused about where you're going to be able to find happiness, this is why, this is why I said what I did in the beginning. This may be the most important thing this talk, you guys are going to forget these talks. You're going to forget who I am. You're going to forget D.A. Horton. Maybe you'll remember D.A. Horton. It's pretty cool. But um, you're not going to remember everything that he said. But the thing that is going to stay 200 years from now is this Bible. This is what every Christian is trusting in. So if you have confusion, go to the Bible. The Bible will, will give you answers that, that you didn't have before. So um, the last thing, the Swiss Alps. What do we find in the glory of God? What is, what is really there? And I would say, honesty about the bad stems from sin. It's honest about the world. It has answers for why the world is so messed up. And it has honesty about the good, which stems from Jesus, who created all things and redeemed us. So, um, I'm trying, I've, I've been trying to think of how I can... Um, Help you guys see this. I think um, I'll just give some examples from my personal life. Um, so, um, every situation in your life is an opportunity for God to reveal His glory to you, and for you to be able to see that you can stake your life on on this book, and you will fall more and more in love with Jesus. So, for my own life, um, my wife and I, um, we delivered two stillborn daughters. 
um, four years ago. It's so hard um, to talk about. Um, and I don't say that flippantly. Um, we, um, we delivered two stillborn daughters four years ago. And um, that was the hardest situation that I had to deal with in my life. And the thing that got me through was Psalm 16, which says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, Go, my Lord, I have no good apart from you. And what, what the Lord taught me in that moment was, because I hurt so bad, I am going to be out of control in this moment. It's appropriate. Emotionally, it's appropriate for me to convulse with sadness. But it's okay for me to do that. Because I know it will not destroy me. Because my God is the one who will preserve me. Psalm 1830 says, our God is a rock. And those who put their trust in him um, find him as a mighty refuge. So um, that is, um, it, he, he helps with personal suffering. We, I have a, a sister-in-law who a year and a half ago was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She wasn't supposed to live for six months. And the thing that got my wife and I through was that the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not lack anything. He makes us light on green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul, even the hardest thing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for it. My God is with me through all of those things. And a hope that there will be a day, as Revelation says, where there will be no more pain and no more tears. All my fears will be wiped away. That's my hope. The Bible gives answers for personal suffering. It gives answers for systemic suffering. God hates oppression. There will be a day when racism will not be a thing and sexism will not be a thing. There will be a day when the racism in my own heart will not be a thing. And the sexism in my own heart will not be a thing. And I long for that day. And the reason that I feel comfortable being vulnerable with you and sharing that I feel racist tendencies in my heart is because the Bible shares with me that my God has saved me and forgiven me of all of my sins so I can be honest about even the most ugly things in my life because it doesn't define me anymore. What defines me is that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. For the law of the Spirit of life, which is Christ Jesus, saved me. For God is not the law weakened by the flesh, couldn't do. That's, that's my hope. It, it, it helps with personal suffering. It helps with systemic suffering. It helps with personal sin in your own life. And some of you guys have been abused. Um, he, he has a category for that. The Bible has a category for that. And so as you begin to read the Bible, you're going to see how Every single life situation, God has an answer for. And he loves us. He really, really loves us. And so, um, what we see when we, when we interact with the Bible is the glory of God, which is powerful to be able to deal with every single one of our issues. Again, as D.A. said this, this morning, you can't um, outdo God in his grace, right? His grace is far greater than any sin that you could possibly commit. Any Anything that you've been sinned, any way in which you've been sinned against, God is more capable of dealing with that. More than capable of dealing with that. There will be a day when he'll wipe away every tear and he'll be able to take care of that. That's our hope. And so, as Christians, we need to come to this Bible not so that we can check it off, so that people will be happy with us, so that we feel like we have a lot of knowledge. We need to come to this because we're desperate. We really don't understand. We're desperate. So, um, last thing. Why don't you guys uh, go to, if you guys have a Bible, 
I didn't put this up here. Um, go to Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 10, verse 47. So, um, I'll, I'll end with this. 
from the, the book Recapturing the Wonder, um, Mike Costa wrote this. He says, encounters with beauty, whether they're in an art gallery, a book, a song, or in the wild, command our attention. They invite us to put away our distractions and our busy thoughts and to be present. So when we think of technology and think of all of our distractions, that's a way that we try and numb our pain because we don't want to feel hard things. The Bible is beauty, right? It's beautiful. And it commands us to put away our distractions and our busy thoughts. So if you want real life, you want real happiness, come to the Bible. And, and he says this, which is really interesting. He says, we, fi- we often find it difficult to make room for these things, and I think that in part it's because they are demanding, emotionally taxing. We cannot help but be evoked, whether that's toward bliss, sadness, or even rage. But we don't want to feel those things. But sometimes it is appropriate to feel those things. It's a good thing to feel rage over oppression. It's a good thing to feel sadness over personal hurts and pain. It's a good thing for us to feel gratitude because we weren't able to take care of what Jesus did. And the Bible commands us to do those things. And so I think that in part, it's easier for us to go to distractions because we know that we're going to have to deal with real life if we just go to the Bible instead. But I promise you, Jesus came to give life and life abundantly, and your life will be abundant if you stake it on the Bible instead of the distractions. So, um, with that, what I want to do is, um, um, so again, I can stake my life on this book, because in it I see the glory of God, and I was made for the glory of God. Um, So what I want to do now is, I want you guys to get up and stretch, and then we're going to do an exercise in the Bible. We're going to talk about how to read it, actually. So... I'll give you two minutes to stretch. All right. Real quickly, um, I think one of the things that people feel if they haven't read the Bible before is, this thing's huge. Where do I even get started with it? And don't feel overwhelmed. Uh, when, I, when I first became a Christian, my dad, I was 11, and my dad said, why don't you just read through the whole thing? And so I did, at the age of 11. And it was totally fine. So you can really start anywhere. Okay, don't, don't feel overwhelmed as if like, there's a magical spot to start in the Bible. You can really start anywhere. Um, if you wanted a suggestion, I personally love the book of John. I think it does a really good job of explicitly displaying the glory of God in Jesus, and it's a really good starting point. The, the thesis of the book, John says at the end of it, is um, I, uh, the, I've written these things that they may believe and have life. And you see those two words over and over again in the book, believe and life, over and over again in that book. So if you want a suggestion, I would suggest that. Now, how do we actually read a passage? Um, well, I, no, sorry, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, okay, so I've got some tips for the youngsters. Um, this is from an, a guy who used to be on SportsCenter. Um, but uh, here's, here's just some tips if you guys want to consistently read the Bible. First is this. Um, have a physical laid out plan. What I mean is this. You can have a plan in your head of like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. But there's just something about writing it out or printing it out and having it in your Bible that's going to help you. I promise. I don't know what it is, but it's just physically happening. It's going to help you actually do it. So have a physical laid out plan of what you want to read. So if it's John, maybe it's I'm going to read the book of John once a day. Maybe you make yourself a little checklist of you know, each of the chapters. And every day you're going to check it out. doesn't matter what it is. Just have a physical laid out plan of what you're going to do. Again, this is a tip. This is not, you know, in the Bible. I'm just telling you. This is what I do. So I have a physical laid out plan. Two, do it with other people. So do the plan with other people. Have other people who are doing the same plan as you and read it with other people. Get up in the morning 
A lot of you guys did that. Did you get, get up this morning and read with, with people? In the back of your booklet, every day there's, there's passages that you can read with one another. Um, so practice that now at conference and read it with other people. Um, one of the beautiful things is that everybody's temperament is different and everybody sees different things in the Bible um, and, and in the same passage. And so and together, it's always better. Always better. I used to hate it. I used to want to do my own thing and it's, it's just not the best. So um, thirdly, you need to sleep. Um, this may sound funny, but actually, as a college student, the temptation is to stay up in the wee hours of the night working on homework because you started your homework at 1.30 in the morning. So um, don't do that. And be okay with an assignment not getting perfection on it. Because the reality is some of you in here need to cut down your social life. And that's the reason that you're not reading the Bible if you're a Christian. And others of you in here, if you're a Christian, need to cut down on your academic prestige, the, the, the identity that you have and how well you're doing in school. If you can't read your Bible on a regular basis, I don't care what your major is. I don't care if you're an aerospace engineer and it demands 18 hours of homework a day. That's not good. You need to have time where you're spending time with the Lord and you need to have time in your community with other people. So, um, I would just say sleep. You should sleep. If you sleep seven, eight hours a day, I promise you it's going to be easier to make a plan to read the Bible. It's just, that's just how it is. Um, you know, uh, just one other note. I, I just wrote this down today. I was thinking about... Um, when D.A. was talking about, you know, is it sinful when you wake up in the morning? Some people feel like if you're a Christian, um, you can feel like it's sinful if you didn't, you know, read your Bible right away. Or you can feel shame or guilt if you were like, I was supposed to read today and I didn't read in the morning. Can I read it later? Um, and a, just a, a personal note, I tend to feel shame when I wake up in the morning. It's just my makeup, how I was raised. I just, when I wake up in the morning... I tend to feel shame as if I've already done something wrong when I start out my day. That's just, that's just the way it is. And what, um, what I said to my wife recently was, um, I feel shame in the morning because I feel like I've done something wrong. And if I don't read my Bible, I feel shame that I didn't read my Bible. But if I do read my Bible, um, I don't feel ashamed anymore because I realize that I don't need to feel shame because of my, where my identity should be. So it's, it's just a funny thing. It's kind of like I feel shame that leads me to want to read my Bible. And then once I read my Bible, I don't, my shame doesn't leave because it's like, okay, finally I've done this thing. My shame leaves because I realize I shouldn't have been ashamed in the first place. Because God loves me and he's delighted in me. That's what the Bible says. It says, I saw the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come again. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's Lamentations 3. That's true. That's true. Or Romans 8.15. Um, we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We shouldn't be afraid of God, but we've been, we received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we should think of our relationship with God as one of delight. He delights in us. If we are Christians, he delights in us, and he loves us. So I shouldn't feel shame in the morning, but I don't really get that unless I read my Bible. So it's paramount for me to read the Bible in the morning, not because it's making me a better Christian, because I checked it off a list, but because I love Jesus more if I'm doing that. And I get my eyes off of myself. Saying that, though, there was a period in college when I was actually reading the book of John. Um, and I didn't have time in the morning, so I read every afternoon at 3 o'clock. I'd go out to a table by the um, coffee table at Bethlehem University, and I would read the, the book of John. So um, there's no you know, perfect way to read the Bible when you should and whatnot. But... Um, just wanted to share that. So, 
Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the Swedish method. So the Swedes know what they're talking about. I'm from Minnesota and the land of the Swedes. Um, but this is called the, the Swedish method. How many of you guys know the Swedish method in here? Okay. So it's a really simple method. Um, and maybe uh, there's going to be four symbols that I throw up here. But maybe before you write any of those down, just, just write this. I should be inquisitive when I read the Bible. Okay, so just write that down. I should be inquisitive when I read the Bible. Um, there's a famous book on how to read books. Um, it was written in the 1950s. And the guy in there says that the best readers are ones who have a conversation with the text. They're constantly asking questions and thinking about it. And in the same way, that's how we should engage with the Bible because you understand it more. So here are the four symbols. The first one is a lightning bolt, or a light, lightning, light bolt. <laughs> just a light bolt. Um, so draw a little light bulb. And the light bulb represents anything that are aha moments in the text for you. Things that, or just things that stuck out. It's just like when I went through it the first time, this is what I got. This is what stuck out to me, this light bulb, okay? So write down a light bulb. The second one is questions. Any questions that you have in the text. When you're looking at it, you're like, I don't really understand what this means. I, um, <laughs> I don't understand the book of Romans at all. Um, so I... I, you, probably, you guys probably can't see this, but I have just pen note after pen note. Just because I don't want to forget <laughs> what it means, because every time I read the Book of Romans, I'm like, what does that, what does that say? Paul's too smart for me. So, um, so uh, questions. Any questions you have about the text? Think about those. Thirdly, arrows, which are, what is this calling us to? What are any actions that the same to take? And then fourth is a cross. So anything that it says about Jesus. Now we don't want to have a leprechaun Jesus where it's just kind of like <laughs> there's a pot of golden Jesus you know, in every text. It's not like he's explicitly in every text, but if Jesus said that every scripture testifies about him, which is true, um, what about the law of God in the Old Testament displays who Jesus is? What about the kings in the Old Testament display who Jesus is? Okay? Um, that's what we're getting at. Now, with that being said, we have five minutes. What I want you guys to do is this. Um, with the person next to you, I want you to do this on the passage that we had for this morning. So Colossians 1, 9 to 14. Just go through these and just, just make observations and talk about it with one another. And I'll break you guys up. So, really quickly, because we don't have a ton of time, um, what was one lightning bolt like? Oh my goodness! What was one light bulb uh, that a group had? Shout it out, anybody? Uh, we have not ceased to pray for you. That was one that kind of like stood out for us. Okay, how come? Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like they they never did stop, and that's kind of like dang, yeah. like because these guys like never stopped. Yeah. So, yeah. I think what you said, dang, you gotta be kidding me. That feeling, we should have that a lot more in the Bible. Like, this is this is interesting. Like, this is not just a book. You know, there's there's real things going on here. Okay, so like, okay, question. What was the question you guys had? Okay, in the back. Yeah, yeah. You. Uh, so this one was kind of like a question. I might follow just because it says so. According to this glorious might, and it's talking about being strengthened with all power. Uh, that was just kind of, but one of the things just because, you know, DA kind of touched on like the difference between according to yeah. and out of. Mm -hmm. And so my question is like, what does it mean to be 
uh, strengthened with all power according to his glorious life? It's a great question. We don't have time to go through it, but we have, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, which means you should read your Bible later on um, and talk about it. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing. I mean, as you read it, I, what I find is usually the first five minutes, I'm just kind of staring at the page. And then as I read the Bible longer and longer, it's just like it's questions and, you know, insights just start happening more and more and more. So that's great. Okay. What was an application? Is there any application that you guys have? Yeah. We said to give thanks to the Father always. Yeah, give thanks to the Father always. Why? Because it was in the passage, but that contentment is like very humble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, the, the cool thing about this passage is if you look at 13 and 14, he answers that. He says, give thanks to the Father. Um, what does it say? He says, uh, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So basically, he says, give thanks to the Father. Why? Because of the gospel. That's why you should give thanks to the Father, which is great. And you can think, am I being grateful as a Christian? Do I feel grateful right now for that? Okay, and then the cross. Yeah. Uh, verses 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, and whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and what I would do, if I were you with, with those, I, there's a lot there. There's a lot there about Jesus. So I'd break down every single one of those. You know, it's like, in Jesus we have redemption. Jesus is a king. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So um, those are examples. I hope that helps you guys. There's no perfect way to study the Bible. But, again, be inquisitive of the Bible. Try and figure out what was the author really mean to say when you wrote the text. And so, here's how it close. You can stake your life on this book. If you're not a Christian in here, this book is trustworthy. I really believe that. I think it's very trustworthy. And we have so many distractions in our life. But I promise you, nothing is going to give you more life than this book. It doesn't promise an easy life, but it does promise an abundant life. And so, um, with that, you guys can be dismissed. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.